this is a verse, our call of worship is found in 1 John 4, 7. And this is a verse that we have worked on at Kids Bible Club. That's why I have Eddie reading it, because it's one he understands and he knows and kind of memorized, me too. So, But we want you to take this one to heart and really put it in your lives. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Thank you, Eddie and Cindy. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of having that kind of a relationship where you can be our Heavenly Father. Father, forgive those earthly fathers who have not given a good example to their children of what a father can and should be. Loving as you are. Giving. Providing. So this morning as we come together, Father, we ask that you will help us by means of your Spirit to feel your presence today. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We begin with the reading of God's Word. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. May God add his blessing to his reading of this word. Let's stand and let's sing together as the deer pants for water. It's in your little white praise book if you want to look it up on page 200. Than any 
today is going to come in small parts as we combine word with song. And we're looking at the idea of the basis for assurance. And the text which we've already read is 1 John chapter 4 verses 13 to 16. John Stott in his commentary identifies this passage as a combination of the doctrinal and social tests that we've been talking about. Now let me ask you, do you by chance remember the two statements with which our text concluded last Sunday? Namely, that God lives in us, He abides in us, and His love is made complete in us. John's now going to elaborate on both of those statements. And we're going to look at the first of these this morning, that of God's indwelling. This new paragraph is introduced by the, by the familiar formula that we've seen over and over in John's letter. We know that. The New English Bible translates it. Here is the proof that. Now the previous two sections that we looked at have been exhortations. A warning not to believe every spirit and an appeal to love one another. And these two tests of belief and love are now applied more personally. No longer in an exhortation, but in an affirmation. The belief and love which John has been urging upon us as his readers are now assumed. And not only assumed, but the relationship between belief and love and to each other is now given for the first time. That the Father has sent the Son is not only the chief test of being true believers to believe that, a true test of our orthodoxy, to use one of those religious words, 
But it's also the supreme evidence of God's love. And as we said last week, it should be something that inspires us. Think about it. Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, demonstrates God's love for us and so confirms that our love for God and neighbor cannot be separated. Look again at the words of verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. He's given us of His Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And God's indwellings mentioned three times in this paragraph. And what in verse 12 has a, a single focus, God lives in us, is now reciprocal each time. We live in Him and He lives in us. Verse 13. Verse 15, God lives in Him and He in God. And verse 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And did you notice that each one of those reciprocal indwellings is described with evidence being supplied that, for instance, verse 13, we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Verse 15, God lives in him and he in God. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, that is affirmed. Of these three tests of the indwelling of God, the last two are actually developments of the first. It's by the Spirit that we come to acknowledge the Incarnation. Another one of those big religious words that simply means God coming to earth in the flesh. God coming to earth as the Son. And it's also by the Spirit that we're able and able to love one another. I'm going to tell you what, if I leave it to myself and my own abilities, there are some people that are very hard to love. And I'm going to affirm to you that I understand that I am one of those people for many people. And so when I come into those situations, I have to remind myself, this is God's creation. God created this person with His image implanted. It doesn't matter whether they're red or yellow, black or white as we used to sing. God's image is in those people. And we need to be loving them even if we don't love the way they behave. You see, the Bible is clear. We're to love the sinner even though we don't love the sins. Hard? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in our fallen and unredeemed state, we are both unable to to believe sometimes because we're blind and we're unable to love because we love ourselves. Our selfishness. And it's only by the grace of the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of truth and whose fruit is love. Isn't that what we memorize at church camp? Galatians 5.22 the gifts of the Spirit, the gift, I should say, it's singular, the fruit 
of the Spirit is love. And then we have all these words that tell us how we can know that love. Now, there are some commentators that make the mistake of seeing in this paragraph the conditions of our living, loving God and of His loving us and, and living in us. These aren't conditions. Belief and love aren't conditions of the indwelling. But they are the tests and evidence. John writes, not he doesn't write, by this we live in Him. He writes, by this we know that we live in Him. So let's sing this morning with assurance about that abiding that we can enjoy in life, in death, and about as we're about to sing, who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. It's number 541 in your red hymns of faith. of John 1 John 4 14 and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world from the truth that God's given us his spirit John moves to the fact that God sent his son The reference to the Trinity, I think, is plain. 
since it's the Father who sent His Son into the world as Savior and also sent His Spirit into our hearts as witness. And our certainty as Christians rests on this combination of the objective and the subjective, the historical and the experiential, on the Son's mission and the Spirit's testimony. You see, it is only a few and a few foolish who try to deny the existence of Jesus Christ as a person of history. There are non-Christian references to Jesus who was of the area of Galilee and Jerusalem, who was crucified. That is an objective knowledge that we can have, a historical knowledge. But when we move beyond that to those statements of faith, then it becomes our subjective, our personal, our belief. Regarding the Father's sending of His Son, John writes, we have seen, And the verb is the same as in verse 12 where God in Himself says no one has ever seen the Father but He says we have seen the Son whom He sent. Who is this we who has seen Him? I think the word there has to refer to the actual eyewitnesses of which the Apostle John was certainly one. Witnesses to the life of Jesus on earth. In other words, John's referring in this verse to himself and his fellow apostles. It's they who were the primary witnesses, uniquely qualified to testify because of what they had seen. By the way, you've heard me share this before. I don't believe Hebrews was written by Paul. The reason I don't believe Hebrews was written by Paul is because Paul never refers to himself as a second generation Christian. He never says, I learned this from so and so and this is where. He always speaks of himself as a first person witness because of his witness of Jesus on the road to Damascus. The apostles were witnesses. And so God provided a twofold testimony to Christ. That of the apostles who witnessed to the historic Jesus who may have seen and heard. And of the Holy Spirit who confirms their witness in the hearts of believers. But let me ask you this. I'm not asking you if you've ever asked for a special baptism of the Holy Spirit because I don't believe that. We receive the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we submit to Him in baptism. And uh, as these two kids back here that are with us today can testify, when I brought them up out of the water, I said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you all are receiving. We are given the Holy Spirit. It's the signet ring. The image, the guarantee, according to Scripture. You know, a great deal of Christian truth is contained in the straightforward affirmation that we have here in verse 14. The essence of the gospel. 
The world means sinful society, estranged from God, and under the dominion of the evil one. I hear people all the time, all the time say, well, it's okay because God's in control of this world. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that the devil is the prince of this world in control. Now, he's defeated already. He was defeated at the cross. But the final victory hasn't come yet. Much like World War II, for those of you that are history buffs, World War II was pretty much decided D-Day. There were just some things that had to be worked out. Jesus has overcome the evil one, but He's still the prince of this world. And the Father, we're told, so loved the world, He loved it in such a way that He gave His Son, His dear and only Son, to be the Savior. Interestingly, the tense of verb that John uses when he says, has sent, it points not just to the historical event, but it's one that is, it happened and it continues to happen. He continues to send His Son to us through revelation, through His Word, through guidance of the Holy Spirit. It should be clear. I think it should be clear that these tests that John is putting forth are not arbitrary. He's not made a random selection they are inexorably from the central Christian affirmation that God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. A song my father used to love and love to sing, Because He Lives. It's in our Red Hymns of Faith book. That's the wrong number though. It's number 169.
Once more, we go to His Word. Verse 15, it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. Of the three tests, it's the doctrinal test that John is now going to emphasize. And once again, the verb which... This isn't anything you have to know. But just for your sake, it's what's called the aorist tense in the Greek language. The aorist tense means something that happens at a point in time somewhere in the past. In many cases, it's difficult to translate precisely in English because it refers to something that even though it was in the past or in the present or in the future, happens at a point in time. And so John is actually referring to a single event, a single decisive event. What would be the single decisive public event without which the time is specified? Our confession. At a point in time, you came to understand that there was something about this message that you had heard, that had been proclaimed, or hopefully had been proclaimed and demonstrated by means of a life. You saw a sermon in somebody. And you came to believe that there had to be something true about it. And so you repented of your sin. And you confessed publicly that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as a part of that confession and repentance, every time in the book of Acts, you submitted to baptism, immersion, symbolizing the burying of the old self and the rising to walk in newness of life. A point in time in which you could say, I confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let me tell you how important and significant it was in the first century. When they made that public confession and everybody passed the word, hey, so-and-so had been baptized, which means they had become a part of a new community, they were disowned, disenfranchised. In fact, in Asia Minor, they lost a lot of their rights to own property, to be legally married by the state. It was a significant event. It wasn't something taken lightly. And that's why for those who know me know that when somebody says, I want to become a Christian, I say, good, let's sit down and let's talk. Why? Do you understand what you're doing? Because it's something very important that we're a part of. How do we come to the place where we're ready to acknowledge the divine and the human person of Jesus, the man who is also the Son of God? 
Well, certainly by means of the Word of God, which is the apostolic testimony. But the Word of God doesn't compel assent. It doesn't make you believe. God's not going to make you believe. He's going to lead you, guide you, encourage you, motivate you. But it's still your decision. You always have the right to say no. You always have the right to turn away and walk away. God's a gentleman. There's no once saved, always saved. That's not in the Bible. We can know, but we know by our loyalty, by our allegiance, the way that the word belief should be translated, pastuo. Not just something that happens in our head. And at the beginning of the chapter, as John was stressing the importance of not believing everything you hear or read, even if the author says this is from the Spirit, John reminds us in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Or as he puts the same truth here, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, the human being who lived on earth, is in fact the divine Son of God. Then God abides in that person. And that person has the distinct and privileged opportunity to abide in God. The Spirit takes up residence. That's why we don't talk about this building as the church. We're the church. We're the temple. God doesn't come to dwell in a building anymore. He comes to dwell in us. We're the temple of God. So share with me in a responsive reading of God's Word a confession that you and I can make. I will read the parts that are in italics. You read the parts that are in bold. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever confesses Me before men, the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But whoever denies Me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Now let's sing that confession that we just made. He is Lord. And let's stand together as we sing this chorus. We're going to repeat it two times.
So John writes in verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. The historical mission of Jesus to come and dwell among us as fully human tells us not only that God loved us, but that God is love. You know, it's one thing to know and believe the love God has for us and that God is love, but it's another thing to live, to abide in love ourselves. And yet, as I shared with you the last few weeks, those are commands. We're not encouraged. We're not exhorted. We are commanded to love our enemies. We are commanded to love those who persecute us. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be close buddies, chum chum. But we need to love them as somebody that God created and loved Himself and sent His Son to die for them as well. You see, John's already unfolded at great length in verses 7 to 12. The love that is eternally in God and was historically manifest in Jesus Christ has to come to fruition in us. If God's truly our Father, and if Jesus is truly our Lord and Savior, the only way to love, as the only way to believe, is to be living in God. And allowing God to live in us. You see, our belief, which actually can only be understood in terms of loyalty, allegiance, and assurance. I mean, this is a dead horse, but I'm going to keep beating it. Read the Gospel of Mark. Who correctly identifies the demons every single time? I mean, excuse me, who correctly identifies Jesus every single time? The demons. The devil knows in his head that Jesus is the Son of God. Is that belief in his head going to save him? No. No more than it's going to save anybody out here who doesn't make it a habit, a practice of worshiping God with other believers. No more than it makes them in a relationship with God. That word has to do with our loyalty, our allegiance. That's how assurance comes. And it has to be demonstrated also by means of our love, our fruit. Which is the evidence. Whoever abides, whoever dwells in love is thereby seen to be dwelling in God. You see, there is then in these 
this passage a double weaving of some themes that are important. First of believing and loving. The doctrinal and the social tests. And secondly, the mission of the Son and the witness of the Spirit through which both loving and believing are possible. Contrary to what many try to say, there is objective historical evidence in the sending of the Son, both of His unique person, which John says we've seen, and of the Father's love, which we know and rely on. But even this is insufficient without the guidance and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Our minds are still dark. Our hearts are still cold. There's a group of guys who have pretty much lost their positions of integrity, authority. They first appeared under the name the Jesus Seminar. All of them with PhDs out of reputable programs in universities. But almost every one of them denying the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And yet trying to proclaim in some way that they are believers, that they're Christians. Paul says... If you read the book, the Bible, Paul says without the resurrection, our hope is in vain. If Jesus didn't literally come back from the dead in a physical body that he told Thomas you can touch, a physical body which he could say, here's some fish, let me eat some of it with you. If your faith doesn't include that factual information, your faith is not in the true Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's in vain. It's only by means of the Holy Spirit that our minds can be softened, that light can shine on what otherwise appears to be hidden, to be darkness. We can't do it on our own. But the Holy Spirit does that that inviting, that illuminating. And yet even with that, there are people who are going to deny and and turn the other way. They're going to reject. So believing and loving are the fruit, the evidence. The evidence that God's Spirit truly is at work within us. Giving us that assurance that we have eternal life. And where was that gift demonstrated so fully. Wasn't it at the cross? The cross. And each Sunday, we join together with a cross on our table, with a cross on our doily, but we join together to partake of unleavened bread in the form of crackers. Of the the blood of Jesus, wine, in the form of grape juice. Why? 
Certainly not to get ourselves full because I guarantee you almost every one of us, myself included, are going to leave here and go have lunch. Because it doesn't fill our physical needs. Why do we partake of this meal each Lord's Day? Why do we partake of it? Sometimes I do at least. Sometimes I partake of it in the middle of the week with somebody. When I went over to Pat's house a few weeks ago and we had communion, I shared in the communion with her. It wasn't a Sunday. It wasn't a Lord's Day. It doesn't say in the Bible it has to be a Sunday or a Lord's Day. It actually says as often as you meet together. Do this in remembrance of me. I've heard somebody say to me, of course I heard several people because I spent four years in Louisville, Kentucky on the campus of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I heard people often say, well, doesn't communion become kind of commonplace if you're doing it every Sunday? I said, you're married, right? Yeah. Is your wife going to be satisfied if you tell her we're not kissing every Sunday once a week? That gets too common. Well, I'll kiss you once a month. That should be okay. Are they going to be happy with that? Are you going to be happy with that? You see, we only allow things to be commonplace that we don't give priority to. You want to see the hair on the back of my head stick up and get ruffled? Not little kids. I understand little kids. But you watch me when I see people during communion time not giving reverence and devotion to what we're doing. Talking about the weather or what they're going to do after church. or Oh, here's the cracker. And by the way, we're blah, 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 blah. Oh, here's the cup. What's Paul say about that? You eat and drink in an unworthy manner? You're bringing sickness upon yourself, even possibly death. This isn't something to take trivially. Jesus instituted this as a part of the Passover. And He said, when you partake of this bread, you remember that it's my body that was broken for you. When you partake of this cup of juice, you remember that it was My blood that was shed so that you could have forgiveness of sins. We're going to sing together a song of preparation, uh, a request, a prayer, asking for the closeness of being in relationship with God. Let's draw me nearer. In your hymns of faith, number 375.
When I was young, I followed my dad everywhere. Everything he would do, I wanted to be there with him. He got me my own tools and he would show me what to do and what needed to be done. I always wanted to be like him. Psalm 103 says, A father shows compassion to his children. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God is our loving father. He made us. He helps us grow through the Holy Spirit. We all sin and we all turn away at times, but he will never leave us. Father God, we thank you for loving us so much that you gave us the freedom even to rebel against you. But you provided a way to redeem us when we made that choice. Thank you for the love. The love that allowed your son. The love that in your in Jesus' own eyes had him stay on the cross when he could have come down because he loved us and wanted to die so that we could be forgiven. Help us to remember that brutal beating that his body went through and the shedding of his blood as we partake this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you for all that you give us, Lord. We thank you that we are able to give back to you, Lord. We pray that you bless this church. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A little bit different. But one of the things of changing things around, I think, is sometimes it it focus it causes us to focus a little bit differently. Uh, the songs that we sing, realizing that these were picked for the message, but you know what? Every Sunday the songs we sing are picked for the message. I, I let them know what my theme is and what the passage is when Kay and Cindy sit down and pick the songs out. But this way, when we're reading a portion of the Word and then looking and singing a song, it just seems to tie it all together a little bit better, doesn't it? And I enjoy closing the service by meeting around the table with my brothers and sisters. Because we enter to worship. Now it's time for us to depart to serve. Uh, we're singing that same closing chorus. Um, I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'd like you to stand and we'll sing. Aren't you glad that we're a part of the family of God? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we could come together today and worship you. And we thank you that we can know. We can know. And we can demonstrate our assurance, our certainty of your love for us that allows us to know that we can be included and that you will abide in us and we can abide in you for eternity. Now help us to demonstrate that love to everybody we come in contact with this week. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And all God's people said, let's stand and let's sing together. Oh, prayer time. I almost forgot. What about, go ahead and sit back down for a second. <laughs> up, down, up. Concerns, praises, concerns. I don't care which words. We need to keep Phyllis Malott in our prayers. She's having some health issues and is in the hospital, and I think it's it's. I talked to Phyllis yesterday by phone, and she is in St. Francis, St. Francis, Franciscan Hospital in Lafayette. Uh, she told me that she didn't care if I shared that information. She wanted us to pray for her. The issue is that her cancer has returned. And so she's been going through chemo and radiation, and because of that, her blood count got below seven, and so about the time they were getting ready to release her and tell her she could come home, uh, they said, no, you gotta get your blood count up above seven. The hemoglobin count has to be above seven. Uh, same issue with, with Percy getting that count up before he was allowed to be released to head down to Florida. But so yeah, we want to keep Phyllis Malott in our prayers. Yeah, okay. I have uh, two more praises. Or two praises. That other was not a praise. Marie, uh, saw her Thursday. She seems to be doing quite well. Um, well. she's not seventeen anymore, but 
she she's doing well in her own home, uh, not getting out much, but that's uh, expected. Uh, also, Dottie is seeming to do very well, moving a lot easier. She had the hip replacement, and she's she's getting around. She's doing what what they're they're getting her therapy, and she's yeah. Dottie Sargent is at home, moving with less pain. So, trying to do her rehab and recovery from there. And you know what, Marie might be seventeen. <laughs> I think it was at least seventeen days ago when we celebrated her one hundredth birthday. So, uh, hundred hundred years old plus seventeen plus days. So, all right. My sister's father-in-law. They thought had a lot of mini TIAs, but he didn't. He had a massive stroke that split, and so going from being very active to really taking it down a notch and he's watching his blood pressure they're, they don't know why and okay. so they're trying to be careful if it happens again and all that Cindy's sister her father-in-law so come from Cindy over a step <laughs> and then go to father his name is Tim Tim massive stroke okay also Mike McManaway uh, Mike and Jeannie McManaway, friends of ours from over in Martin, Illinois. Uh, Mike and his sister went down to sit with their dad uh, because things are, are not good at all uh, with their dad. And this was all started with, a they think, a stroke as well. So, okay. Dorothy? Uh, David gets to see a new doctor to have his knee done in Lafayette and we will know Thursday. Okay. So Thursday we'll know if David's gonna have this other new doctor. Do um, the surgery. So whatever. Do the surgery. Alright. So we're keeping in our prayers. Thanks. Aaron's improving, so thank heavens for that. Um, but he can still use some prayers because he's not back to work yet. So. Okay. Aaron Shapansky. Is that close enough? Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's All right. Their son, Aaron, uh, is a hemophiliac. And he had a, a bruising that caused internal bleeding. And so he's not out of the woods, but he's getting close to the edge. So we want to keep him in our prayers. All right? Yeah. I have praise. I saw three robins this morning, and two of them were in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Three robins. I think that means something. Yeah, it means there were two robins in your yard, and you saw three. <laughs> <laughs> this is mean, but I've seen 12 bunnies in my yard. I wish they'd like go. <laughs> family stuff. Laughing, sharing. Let's go back to the Lord in prayer and then we'll sing our closing song. Father, we brought these issues all before you. Uh, we didn't mention Donnie and his continuing recovery, nor did we mention Mary Jane who had a procedure this week and uh, seems to be doing okay with some minor issues. Uh, we want to keep all of this ever before our hearts and our minds. Father, I just pray that this Dr. Thursday for Dave will uh, 
lay the truth on the table. If there's surgery needed, it'll be done. It'll be successful and, and, and can possibly move on from here. Uh, we do pray for Aaron as he continues to heal. Thank you for allowing us to be together today. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Let's sing. Thank you. 
but mostly they're just open in the morning, close at 11 o'clock every day, but on Sunday they stay open until 1, so you'll have to eat breakfast food, but we'd love to have you go with us for lunch. All right. We'll just head that way. All right, we'll follow you. <laughs> we're in the little... Yeah, we're parked on the side in the new Bronco. Okay, we got a brown SUV. I see it. <clears throat> I'm worried about communion later. Okay. I'll come back anyway for you. I'll just ride with you guys and then... Okay. I'll worry about the computer later. Well, yeah, we worry and about And I'll get the communion we'll later. later. I'm going to go around the other side and walk that door. All right, I got to use the restroom. <laughs>